0: Hi guys, my name's Adele Yango, and welcome to another episode of Legally Clueless. No, seriously, I have no clue what I'm doing, but I'm pretty sure I'm not the only one. Hey you, I hope you're great or as close to great as is possible. But welcome to episode 62. I'm excited about this episode because a little later on 100 African Stories, you get to hear a story from a musician from Ghana. His name is Manifest. And as you know from episode 25, Accra, Ghana is one of my favorite places in the world. I had one of the most unforgettable nights of my life there, although bits of it are a bit blurry, thanks to a drink called Kokruko. But if you listen to episode 25, you will hear Maya Accra Adventures. But yeah, so he's definitely a very talented musician. We're going to get into his music, but he also has quite a few entertaining stories as well. But before we get to Manifest, I just want to check in with you, especially during this pandemic. Wherever you are in this world, I hope that you're not only being safe, but also trying to stay as sane as is possible. I think we really downplay how the pandemic affects us mentally and not even on like a mental health condition level, just on trying to do my day-to-day work level. You know what I mean? Like it takes a bit more energy to be productive, at least on my end, especially, I don't know, when I was employed, I didn't feel any guilt taking some time off work. In fact, I used to find very creative ways to get some time off work and I'd never ever felt guilt for like skiving or giving my job 20%. But now that I'm self-employed, my God, even when I feel like I'm mentally or physically or emotionally unable to do this work to produce the episodes and I know in those moments that I need to take a time out even if it's for an hour or even two hours, or take the afternoon off. I feel so guilty. <laughs> I'm like, employed people are put in 10 hours, and you're here, saying, oh, you need to rest. So I'm trying to battle with that guilt, and know that there are moments where, anyway, I do need a rest. And there are moments that, okay, Adele, you can push yourself a bit. I don't know, when I was employed, man, <laughs> I hope my boss isn't listening to this, but i felt no guilt no guilt whatsoever so a lot has happened of course this podcast has been syndicated which is great news you can listen to it on trace fm so just go to traceradio.co.ke. you'll see the list of frequencies if you're in kenya that you can listen to the station on those who are not in kenya of course you can stream on the website and the podcast airs on trace radio every monday wednesday and friday at 9 a.m and at 8 PM. So what that means is a whole lot more production on my end. <laughs> Me and this whole being one woman team situation, it means a lot more production on my end. But I genuinely love it. I genuinely love making real content, content that sits very well with my heart and creating a space for Africans to be able to share their stories. So as much as it's a lot more work... <laughs> I enjoy it. Still on productivity, guys, I managed to rebuild my website. Yeah, I feel so proud, but it's actually not that hard. I actually do feel like the website that I had before, I'd paid somebody to do it. And now I feel like that was a waste of money (laughs) because it's not like it's really not that hard. Honestly, if you're listening and you want to build a website, whether it's for a personal website or for your business, I swear you can just use Squarespace. It's pretty straightforward. They are monthly payments and I'm assuming that you're owning your domain. But even if you don't, you can be able to purchase the domain you want via Squarespace. I always get it wrong, square (laughs) space. But yeah, don't waste money like me. (laughs) Save your coins, please. But yeah, so at least that's one thing other than balancing my eyebrows every morning (laughs) that I can say I've achieved during this quarantine period. Something else that I wanted to talk about that I am currently battling with and I actually made a point to read up on it. And I know you could have faced this either before in your life or maybe even right now, it's imposter syndrome. And people throw this term around on social media and not many of us understand what it is, but it generally is a psychological pattern where you you doubt your accomplishments or you have this consistent internal fear that people are gonna expose you for being unworthy of what you've accomplished. It's so warped and I don't believe I've felt it as potently as i'm feeling it right now or in this phase of my life so i started reading up about it because that's what i do (laughs) i'm the type of person who even like in preparation for a doctor's visit i have researched and i have even gone with notes. (laughs) One of my friends is constantly telling me to stop doing that, but you just need to know. (laughs) You need to know these things. So while trying to do my research on it, I came across a write-up by a doctor called Dr. Valerie Young. And she basically has put imposter syndrome into I think about five different subgroups and she has a book about it I'm going to actually try and get this book because it's called the secret thoughts of successful women why capable people suffer from the imposter syndrome and how to thrive in spite of it anyway back to like the five different subgroups that she has the first one is the perfectionist you know she details how perfectionism and imposter syndrome go hand in hand I really didn't think I'm a perfectionist So I was like, I don't know, scrolled past it. And then there's the superwoman or superman. And these are people who are convinced they're phony amongst real deal colleagues or real deal industry members. So they often push themselves to work harder to try and measure up. I don't know if I feel that. I didn't think that was me. (laughs) Because also... At that point, it said, like, it asks you questions to know whether you fit into that subgroup. And the first question was, do you stay later at the office than the rest of your team? And I remember when I was employed, man, my show... At the very beginning, obviously, I was, like, super (laughs) geeky about it. But I think towards the end, when I was losing interest and I was, like, gearing up to finally resign, my show would end at 10 a.m. And I shit you not, there was one day... I left the show at 9.50 a.m. Yeah, so y'all just got to listen to more music in those last 10 minutes. But um, yeah, so that's definitely not me. And then there's the natural genius. Yeah. (laughs) One of the questions to know whether you fall into this subgroup is, do you have a track record of getting straight A's or gold stars in everything you do? I don't know, man. And then were you told frequently as a child that you were the smart one? Uh -uh. (laughs) Uh-uh. Definitely not me, number four is a soloist, yeah, this is why I feel like I really oof this is me, man, okay, so it says sufferers who feel as though asking for help reveals their phoniness are what Dr. Young calls soloists, okay I don't really think I don't like asking for help because I don't like being a burden to other people, so it's not really about revealing my vulnerabilities or whatever it's more I don't know, I just don't like being or feeling like a burden. And so the questions on this is, do you firmly feel that you need to accomplish things on your own? Yes. (laughs) I don't need anyone's help. Does that sound like you? Yes. (laughs) Do you frame requests in terms of the requirements of the project rather than your needs as a person? I don't know. I've never been in that situation, but I think I'm a soloist. And then number five is the expert. Experts measure their competence based on what and how much they know or can do. Do you shy away from applying to job postings unless you meet every single educational requirement? Yeah, I don't think this one is me. Are you constantly seeking out trainings or certification because you think you need to improve your skills? Mm, I don't know. <laughs> Even if you feel you've been in your role for some time, can you relate to feeling like you still don't know enough? Yeah, I have that. But I don't feel like it's from a toxic space. I feel like it's just that I'm in a dynamic space in terms of like podcasting and new media. So I genuinely need to keep reading anyway. But yeah, I'll put a link to that article in the description because I just felt like I I got so enlightened on this whole imposter syndrome thing. With everything that's happening, it's the first time where... Like, I'll schedule to make an announcement on my public platforms. And right before I do it, I'm like, no, I don't want to do this because it's not even a big deal. Why are you putting it out there? Now more people will know about your podcast and then they'll listen and they'll hate it. And they'll realize that you're actually not a cool podcaster. (laughs) Like, seriously, when I say I overthink, it goes that far. And... There are certain people I've held off from reaching out to to record for this podcast because I'm just like, I'm not worthy and this podcast is not worthy. I get so scared to check the Legally Clueless hotline where you are sending through your story demos because when the demos come in, I'm just like, oh, my God. Now this person has entrusted me with their story and then they're going to realize I'm so unworthy of them telling me their story. It's just it's it sounds like nonsense. It sounds very rational, but it's very overwhelming sometimes. I'm cognizant of the fact that it's a phase I'm going through, maybe because, you know, with the syndication, it's something new in this region and so I'm feeling that pressure. And this is probably a result of that. But I'm just like, can this phase end, man? <laughs> <laughs> I'm so damn over it. Ugh. Anyway. All right. So before we get into the 100 African story, I need to share the songs of the week. Songs because they're two. The first one was actually sent in by you, Will might be you, if you're Martha, who chatted me (laughs) on the Legally Clueless hotline. And she sent in this song by Mudoni Drama Queen. The name of the song is Power. Now, Mudoni is from Kenya. If you check the description of this episode, you'll find a link to that song. It's a pretty dope song because it speaks to how women get erased from history. So, for example, when we talk about, let's say, Kenya gaining independence, we hardly ever talk about the women who were part of that struggle. I just love that she found a way to celebrate women, to make sure women are included in the conversations where they're actually breaking glass ceilings. Because more often than not, we kind of get left out of that. So, check out the song. The link to it is in the description. The second song is by... Manifest, who is on 100 African Stories in this episode. So it's a song he just released. It's called We Know They Here and it's featuring Kelvin Boy and Kelpie. So check it out in the description box. It's actually pretty dope. And feel free to check out these two artists' other music as well. But right now, I want us to jump into 100 African Stories. This is a story that will take you from a guitar and a stool, to quitting a nine to five while having a son on the way, to not being paid for a performance, But one thing's for sure, as much as it's an entertaining story, there's a lot of insights in it as well.
1: 100 African stories. There is no proper life that you live in university as a musician.
0: If I constantly just walked around feeling sorry for myself, I'm never going to get anything done.
1: Uh, There's a bit of frustration in between all of that. I've been
0: breaking my back for this company. Therapy is not for the weak or for the crazy.
1: Stories from Africa. My name is Manifest. I'm from Accra, Ghana. I'm a musician. The first time I can recall in which I knew that, okay, music is a very powerful presence in my life and it's something I would consider, I think I was probably about six or seven years old. My grandfather was a professor in music in a university in the States, and he was returning back home after staying there. And I do remember this Palm Wine High Life guitarist called Konimo came to the house to welcome him. And he had a bag slung, sling, slinging around his arm. And the bag had the bag had two things in it. It had um a guitar and a stool. <laughs> so he took out his stool, put it down, sat on it, took out the guitar, and just as my granddad was walking into the house, he started playing a song, almost I guess a freestyle, what we would call freestyle in modern day era song welcoming him basically talking about it and it was so moving and powerful to me i didn't understand that music could do that that you could really be in the presence and capture that kind of thing so that that was the first time i don't quite remember exactly how old I was i think somewhere between six and eight and uh but it was a powerful it was a powerful memory for me it's always been the first song i ever recorded myself uh i I recorded with a friend of mine i think it was my first year in my college dorm it was in america so was a, there was a guy by the name of Nate Vernon, who's actually still in the mu- music business, he and his brother, funny enough, um, who, who had equipment in his dorm room. <laughs> so I used to write songs and perform them, but we went to his dorm room. We kind of make a makeshift thing, and then uh, we recorded two songs that day. I think, uh, I think it was called Crisis. No, I have not listened to it. I am terrified of... Sometimes I like, I like, I like believing in the memory of of some of my old work instead of actually reliving it. (laughs) So I've not listened to Crisis forever. The last time I was reminded about Crisis was actually by Nate's brother, because his brother is actually quite an accomplished musician who I was, yeah, we used to record. His brother is called uh, Justin Vernon, a.k.a. Bon Iver, who people have probably heard on Kanye albums, etc. But I think he was the last person who reminded me of that a couple of years ago. I was a bit of a late bloomer when it comes to the decision to pursue music. So as an early age, I was enchanted with the music. I, was, you know, I wanted to be part of it, but I, I definitely had no ambitions of making a life or career out of it. So it was never actually a discussion point. The funny thing was every year of my life, probably as a teenager, uh, and people would ask me, hey, what do you want to... You know, the aunties and uncles, Africans. What are you going to do in school? What do you want to do with your life? Yeah. <laughs> and then You have to make up what you think will please their ear. I mean, you say doctor, you probably hate biology, and you just say doctor because they want to hear it. <laughs> Every year, I had a different answer because I was just giving them an answer that would please them because I had not discovered what I I, was comfort- I wasn't confident enough to be able to make that, make that dive to say I'm going to do music. So there was never any discussions actually. I went to study economics and music. I went to the US to a liberal arts college and I went to study economics. Uh, I was playing around with the music and, and, and as much as I wanted to, but once again, I hadn't even begun to orient my mind that yeah, this is something you could actually do for a living. It took leaving college and having that adult moment where it's like, yo, if you're passionate about this and you are claiming in your head or somewhere deep inside of you, this is your calling. You, ha- you, you have to do something about it now because, I mean, it's now or never at that stage because you wait till you're older and you know what gives, you know, things happen in life more as you're older. You know what they say, liberal at 16, conservative at 60. So it's a cycle of life when you're younger, you're able to have, make liberal decisions about what you want to do. So you might as well take that chance so that's when I decided to take a chance with it so but I'd never had a formal education in music I finished college and I got a job I didn't get a job in like finance or wall street or any of these things that would completely steal away all my time intentionally got a job that I was passionate about but that also wasn't you know basically 16 hour days uh so I was like uh development analyst so I worked in communications and I guess fundraising for a nonprofit called progressive technology project at the time so yeah very progressive working with community organizing groups it's just stuff that I was interested in anyway but that's when I, I really began to delve into the music fully so in essence at the time, it felt like I had two full-time jobs. One of them was paying me my day job and music that wasn't paying me. <laughs> I released my first album while still having a day job, but it was increasingly beginning to take most of my time. I mean, it was like if you at, at the time when you Googled me, you, you would see nothing about me or my day job. You were, you were seeing me as an artist. It was beginning to become obvious. There were some internal changes at work, you know, so that also you know my old boss who i loved left and then there was somebody new it didn't quite work out well and then I just, and then, yeah so so it was like a, a perfect storm in terms of a natural progression of having to exit you know the the job and it wasn't like it, it was it, it was a couple of different factors that that made it happen and also more importantly that made it so that i didn't actually go and try and find another job <laughs> that i that I decided, so in 2009 was the last time I stepped in an office to work for money. <laughs> I'll tell you something. <laughs> I stopped having a 9 to 5 just when my my son's mother was pregnant with them. <laughs> so what a time to choose. <laughs> to not have a stable, a stable paycheck every two weeks, etc. But you know what? Some, some of us, I think sometimes we are driven by the... I'm a Scorpio. We are driven by some of these extremes. This is do or die. It's either you're all in or not at all. And so, such challenges for me, I, I, I embrace them. Because I set myself certain goals. I tell myself, I dream, but I am not a dreamer in, in the most romantic sense. The dreamer in a romantic sense is the person who says, oh, I think this is what I'm supposed to be. And no matter how much the thing is not working out, they still will stick to it. No. I'm a dreamer in a sense. I believe I am inspired. I have these ideas of this is what I could do or this is what I want to do. But I also set certain goals and standards for myself. I told myself, for instance, in two, 2007, that like, if I put out this first album and it gets no response, I'm quitting. Like, I would have been happy saying that, yo, I did it. I did something that I was passionate about and I gave it a go and it didn't work out. So for me, when I'm faced with challenges or fears of I've shifted, okay, I don't have a nine to five anymore. Oh I'm expecting a child. I set certain goals for myself to say that yo okay, I know that I'm going to have financial responsibilities, etc so certain things I need to be having certain opportunities, certain things need to happen for me to keep pursuing this right route otherwise you know I'm not going to be a fool and let my son come and then be sitting at home saying, "Yo, I'm going to blow up <laughs> Go back to Ghana and 2012 the beginning of more like the december 2011 january 2012 throughout 2012 i was kind of going in between america and ghana but that's when i would say i I came back so my son was born in 2010 but he was also a prime motivator because i i definitely knew that i wasn't trying to live my life or raise a child in america yo guys almost 10 years you you decided you were coming here for college for four years now you're almost 10 years in hey go back home who's who's stopping you from going home so so I think definitely having a child was a, a very big motivating factor, because there was you know I say it in one of my songs and, and my 2016 album. It's called Now Here Cool. One of the biggest things for me at the time was remembering missing two major funerals back home, you know, and it was like you know you just that that dis- that emotional burden of feeling the disconnect and knowing that why you. Choose on this path when in times of need for your family and all that, sometimes you can't be there. You know, I, I wasn't going to live a life where by the time I'm 50, 60, 70, all, all I have behind me are regrets and remorse. Well, when I came back, by the time I was back 2012, Ghana was experiencing a new wave of music that was, for lack of a better term, going viral. It was the Azunto wave. And um, it was kind of interesting because it was having an impact on the diaspora, the black diaspora. I think it was the first wave that I saw in which if you had any kind of global tentacles, it was really rooted in, okay, the diaspora, the people in London, other places in Europe who are, who are black, who are like black British, Ghanaians, Nigerians, etc. Are gravitating towards this. Are doing their own versions of it, and then, uh, and then, obviously, then white people start loving it too. <laughs> so I came in a time of, I think, what was what I would believe I could say was the beginning of this whole new wave of Afrobeat, but without that same name. It was the beginning of one of the innovations that spawned that. So I came in that time, but the, the problem then was this: as beautiful as that was to see. Kind of a phenomenon that grassroots that was just kind of beginning to explode, you know, virally because we're in a new world where the Internet and other things help to do that. It it, it was just troubling that what it then meant was that the music was just monotonous, incredibly monotonous. It's like you could have only one kind of thing. This is the thing that's popping. So everybody's trying to do that. And I was never interested in that. So I was definitely looked at as kind of a pariah. <laughs> but i was i was too comfortable in my skin then to see myself as a pariah (laughs) so because i was like okay i can enjoy azonto when i'm at the party it doesn't mean i need to make it you know everybody 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 has what they are supposed to be doing so till today actually there's a good group there are people who still argue and call me an azonto hater on twitter and other places because i i I just didn't understand everybody's doing it you see we 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 have to sometimes look at the examples of things like reggae music and how they, they strengthen the quality of the music and they evolve it and how they, they have different strands. And that's why I stay for so long. Sometimes when we get an innovation, we brutalize it. You know, Those who can do it, do it. Those who can't still do it. So we, we brutalize it and it doesn't become a mainstay. It, becomes, it comes and goes. And, and people sometimes don't understand the critiques you give of these things. Because it has nothing to do with their personal enjoyment, you know. I might personally enjoy listening to some of the most gangster, you know, rap in the world, but I'm not making that. Whew, I, I tell you, you know. But I, you, I, I understand the 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 you know. I don't want to call it a psychosis. I understand sort of where where mentally we are at, why we do that. Because you see, we have not yet been put in in the modern era. We have not yet been a place in which. Our music and and the making money and all of that has flourished on such a large and grand scale, so anybody who's going to come up and seize an opportunity to make some 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 cash with something that's popping and maybe even have some global links or even a national whatever wave they're like yo let me let me try and get in because the African music right now has no space for somebody to make a living being an underground artist, and until that happens that 's going to be difficult you know in other places you have so called underground artists or alternative artists who are probably making seven figures a year. Then they never have to be on the mainstream because they have a niche market and other things and there's infrastructure, they can perform, they are doing shows, they might be doing over 100 a hundred shows a year in two hundred to three hundred or five hundred venues. It's not an arena, but it is sustainable. They can still make a living. And until that happens, it's 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 almost like it almost mirrors Sometimes African economic reality, there's, there's really no middle. You're either really doing well or you're struggling. Life in Africa is full of unforgettable moments. Trust me. <laughs> I'll tell you an experience. Ooh, I, don't, I don't even remember ever speaking about this because people don't even ask me questions in such a potent way. Thank you. I have always have a strange relationship with awards and award shows because I have not made it my concern. I've always believed in controlling the things that I can control, which is what I create and my connection to people. And then what else, whatever comes out of that, wonderful. So when I came, I was not interested, you know, the kind of music I was with there. I wasn't like, oh, I want to be part of this, etc. I was intrigued. I could watch it from a distance and be cool. But for some reason, I think that first year in 2012, they had something, some VIP experience in some separate parts during the award show where like the VIPs were going to be watching the awards on TV in a separate part of the venue or something. Super strange. It's like, you know, Africans, we love VIP more than everybody else. <laughs> I mean, you can't blame us. You know, the struggle is real. After a day of running, running through the sun and all that, you want some VIP experience. It's hard. <laughs> so anyway, they had this VIP experience thing. So for some reason, they called me to perform in, in that room, that VIP room. So I don't, know, I don't know whether it's in between awards, during breaks or whatever. They had like one or two acts performing there, which was, I mean, it was a strange thing to me, but I loved it because I was getting paid. <laughs> so I remember going to rehearse for it with the band, etc., etc. But something happened that day that reminded me of the reality of this space, of this, of this ecosystem and this creative space and this African space. So I go there. I think I... S- I sound check, et cetera. So I was there during the night, so I kept getting my manager and probably myself at the time asking the person organizing that, okay, when am I performing? When am I performing? When am I performing? When am I performing? Am I, performing? I was having a good time because I'd just been having drinks, but I'm like, no, I, you know, no. When am I performing? And nothing was happening, you know? And then come to find out there was so much, so much confusion going on and so much politics. The band hadn't been paid, so they were refusing to play. It looked like somebody else who wanted to play. I don't know what didn't want to play with the same band that I was playing with because, I don't know, competitive thing. I, I don't know. There were so many things surrounding it. One of the people who was organizing, I don't think, liked me. I don't know why. So he was figuring out a way to sabotage me. And it was like a movie because at the end of the night, the night came to a close I did not perform. And then, it seemed like we were trying to figure out a way not to pay. <laughs> I was like, nah, B. <laughs> it's happening. But it's unforgettable because it's like, this was supposed to be one of the simplest things. You know, some of the most simple things become complicated because of a lack of transparency and people's politics and what kind of thing is happening. But it opens, so it opened my eyes. It's like, hey, is this what we are doing? Eh, it's like, it's like that. And I'll never forget this. Like, and I, I mean, I'm a Scorpio, so unfortunately I remember too many of these things. Like the next year, funny enough, so the next year I'm performing on the main stage Ghana Music Awards. I went to awards, <laughs> right? And when I went, it's one of the people involved in that the year before goes on Twitter with some subliminal, oh yeah, just last year, oh, you were out here in my office begging for whatever. I've never been to his office. Like basically the payment that was supposed to be made, my manager wanted to collect it. But this person was creating a false narrative because now, a year later, I'd made a come up. <laughs> and I was like, whoa, Charlie. So, so it's an unforgettable scene that I even dragged the whole year because the next year the tables are turned. <laughs> Everybody has different paths. My path has been having different moments in which I kind of... Um, it, 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 it changes the trajectory, makes the trajectory go much better. You know, certain bumps... Certain bumps in the, the, you know, what do you call it? The, the graph, you know? So, so I think for me, that's what has been. And, and I guess to a certain extent, those moments become bigger and bigger. So I can name like at least three moments that are interesting for me in terms of feeling a difference and knowing that, like you said, something is happening. One of those first moments was, was also one of those moments that helped me come back to Ghana. It's like when I was in America and I was getting, like, I was getting taken to London to be in studios to record with, you know, Damon album, Gorillaz, Erika Badu and etc and I was like whoa you know I'm not a person with a following of consequence but based on my work I'm getting opportunities to kind of record with people who are major not even in where I'm living but all the way across to Europe so that was one moment for me and it had nothing to do with selling platinum or gold it was I guess a validation that yo Based on of your talent, you are going to be invited into certain spaces and certain rooms, and I I definitely appreciated that. It emboldened me to be like, okay, I'm going to go on this path. I think another moment would be in 2016. I just felt like, I mean, there was there was a couple of things going on with me and my music and some rivalries and stuff that basically I realized that I could literally change or control conversations in the music space here. Like I'd reached a level of influence in which. What I do, I could put out a single song and it could cause chaos. <laughs> so now now you don't worry about it as much because it happens and you understand what kind of voice you have and you understand that yeah, you shouldn't be just putting out anything because there are people who join trends, there are people who are good at wave hopping, but yours might be to to create conversation, to be the the, the you know the one to determine the navigation of stuff. I think today at this moment I define successes. Being able to live the life that you desire without compromise—that you live through regret. Anybody with a deep passion for something that is then is more than just their passion, but is 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 their career and their life. I, I absolutely has those moments, and those moments. People often mistake those moments to be oh, it's because it's not going well. No, sometimes things might be seemingly going so well. You might money might be coming, etc. But I mean, the level, of, the, the, the level of problematic things that might be around you might be, might be pissing you off so much that, you know, you're like, nah, is this, is this all worth it? You know, and, and people, people don't understand that. So definitely I go through that. I go through moments in which I'm like, you know what? I have done this thing. You know, I've traveled. I've played shows in more than 50 countries. I don't know how many cities. I've, I've put out albums. I've, I've, I have I've done... A lot of things I wanted to do with, that I would want to do just as an experience for myself, if it was just a selfish ambition. I've done stuff for myself with music, so why am I still in it for when I could be doing other things in life? What, what, what's it? Beca- and, and those thoughts might come because of certain frustrations. It could be frustrations of, I've released an album, I have to go and do a media run where people ask me the same five questions in different ways over and over again. I'm like, what kind of life is this? <laughs> <You know? laughs> I'm like, nah, man, I'm not built. I didn't, this is not what I signed up for. <laughs> There's many different reasons, you know. I, I think for me, one thing is I despise stagnation. So if at any moment I feel a sense of stagnation, it can drive me to wanting to quit. But I also have so much... Ambition and so much like, so much energy to overcome challenges. When those two energies or thoughts are battling each other, it's, it's always the overcoming or like embracing the challenge that wins. Because I know, I have a, I have like a, a foolish confidence about my abilities. Wow, I, I think, I think a lot of my collaborations have been super memorable. I think it's probably one of my most one of the most um, memorable part of. My creative work has been collaborations because everybody takes themselves out of their comfort zone and just allows an openness to interact with somebody. I'll, I'll give two examples. Um, rest, rest, rest in peace, HB from South Africa. But I met him in 2012. We had a very organic connection. You know, he showed me his baba. It was my first time in South Africa, all that kind of stuff. And I went to the studio one day. He had to go to an event and um but he was coming to check me in the studio just whatever and we just started working on something and it was so organic he literally told his manager to cancel the event he was going to <laughs> because we we're, were flowing so easily and the song and the, the song came out that way people felt that energy was a back and forth two bars three bars because it was one of those things where we didn't even plan to make music that day he was just coming to check me you know and when things like that happen you it reminds you of of, of the spiritual essence of, of what this thing whole thing is, and that if you if you enter a, a space with the right energy, any any, any potential thing can happen. Um, I feel like every time me and Bernard record is it's similar. It's, it's like it's, it's a certain fluid energy. There's no there's no conversation about the song itself in a way in which it's like, oh, so this is what we're going to do, and we just do it because of a fluid, you know, exchange. So both both songs we put out last year, those. We we don't we didn't even record in studios. We we're recording in like hotel rooms with equipment. <laughs> so, I mean, it's it's just vibes. So I think for me, most of my I I can have I have zillion a zillion st- zillion stories for days in terms of a lot of the collaborations. I feel like the ones that didn't go well, they probably never came out, or I probably didn't finish that session. <laughs> I think a constant fear is. To be complacent, you know, it's, it's not a fear, but it's something that when I do any level of introspection, I have to make sure, like, this is, this is the temperature check. Are you being complacent? Do you think that things are going so well that everything is fine? Are you, do you have the hunger? Are you losing it? But it's something I, I always uh, give myself a temperature check on in terms of, yeah, in terms of introspection. Because the longer you are in this thing, the easier it can be for you to become complacent, to believe you know what it is, to believe in your own magic, to believe in all sorts of stuff that, that, that really strips you away from that, that passion, that honesty, that all of that, that gave you a shot in the limelight in the first place. So for me, I, I, th- I think I definitely try to check myself in that regard. And then ask myself certain questions, you know. I cannot believe that everything I create is like the best thing ever. (laughs) I have to be able to create. I have to be able to have people around me and other things in which I can actually have, I mean, art is subjective, but I can actually have the closest to objective view of, okay, this is what this is and this is what this means. This is why this is great or this is not that great or this is great, but it's not good for this time or something of the sort. I need to have that. I need to approach every piece and every album, every project, like yo, this is the first time people are going to hear me. I need to present myself, my thoughts, my message, my ideas in the most interesting, potent ways, etc. Am I doing that? So I mean it it is a fear because you know, with certain kinds of perceived success definitely comes complacency. I remember being in Nigeria once and being in the Chocolate City office with Aldu pick up to him and uh, yeah, he just gave my manager and I a tour, just different things they do there, and you know, plaques and different things. And he had mentioned something that we were doing, and I remember us uh, jokingly saying, Hey, you've made it. And in, in in a similar joking but half serious way, he turned and looked and said, The day that you say I've arrived is the day you follow. Because if you have arrived, where else is there to go, essentially? There, there's no progress to be made. So you think you have arrived, okay cool Then there's no foreign movement anymore. Catch our next African stories in the next episode.
0: I really hope you enjoyed that story. I see so many similarities between his story and a couple of episodes ago when I had Vivian, who is a Kenyan musician, also share a story on the podcast, especially the bit about, you know, when you go for performances and there's just a lot of drama or people not paying you There's a lot behind the scenes in the music and the entertainment industry behind the glamour that I think sometimes people don't really hear about. I also found it so interesting when he talked about quitting his nine to five to focus on his passion, which, of course, was music and moving back home. Because I do know there are a lot of Africans in the diaspora who listen to this podcast. You know, you're physically away and people normally downplay how that Affects you emotionally, that emotional detachment, that missing funerals or weddings or people giving birth, or you know what I mean? Like that actually does take a toll on you. And I only realized it because one of my very close cousins, who I actually consider to be a sister, is in the States. You know, just understanding there's certain things she would want to be there for that she can't be there for. And so, you know, you have to make sure you keep her. Included, make use of the WhatsApp video calls (laughs) and just work extra hard to maintain that bond. I really enjoyed his story and it was my first time actually interacting with Manifest as much as him and his management and I have been trying to like get him on any of the platforms I've been on in the past couple of years. But I'm so happy that the first time would be him just being, him just telling his story, him just being raw and frank and authentic on Legally coolers. So make sure you check out his music. In the description of this episode, there's a link to his new track, We Know They Here. Make sure you check out all of his other songs as well. One that I really love is The Gamble. <laughs> you know, I told you guys a couple of episodes ago, I really wanted to be a rapper in my life. <laughs> So I gravitate more towards um, such music. But I also like a song where he featured Burner Boy. It's called Tomorrow. And I love another song that he's featured on that's by Burner Boy. It's called Another Story. Because it really talks about African history and how there have been certain edits that have been made to our history. Just to make us downplay our strengths. Downplay who we are. His verse of that song actually speaks to a lot of crap. That our African leaders are doing instead of pointing the respective African countries in the right direction. And it's so crazy that the stuff that he brought up in that verse, me all the way in Nairobi, Kenya, I was like, yeah, man, I'm tired of moving off the way when I'm driving for corrupt, non performing leaders who are rushing by with their sight. I don't understand. Maybe if they sat in traffic. <laughs> they would understand what needs to change in the in the transportation system. But yeah, I've gone on a vent because I feel so passionately about that. But yeah, check out his, his music. I think you'll really enjoy it. And as well as Mulani Drama Queen. The links are all in the description of the podcast. Remember, you two can share your story on this podcast. All you have to do is record a one-minute WhatsApp audio note from wherever you are in the world, telling me a bit about the story you want to share. Send it to the Legally Clueless hotline on WhatsApp, that is. And the podcast number is plus 254-768-628-790. So wherever you are in the world, you can just record a one-minute WhatsApp audio note. Send it to that. And then I'll send you some story prompts just to kind of help you flesh out your story. And then we'll record it remotely. It's as simple as that. And lastly, thank you so much for listening to this podcast. We have just passed 400,000 streams, which is just crazy for me to even think of and make sure you join the Legally Clueless tribe on Instagram that's at Legally Clueless podcast and that's it for this episode of Legally Clueless you can share this podcast with your friends you can keep it for yourself I'm not judging just make sure you're here next week for the next episode